Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and welcome to this week's Roundtable, where we invite a couple of Washington's top-notch political reporters to look back on the news of the week and try to put it all in perspective. For the fourth week in a row, the only real story is the spread of the coronavirus and how we're dealing with it at the state and federal level. And as of today, Friday, April 17, we stand at 677,000 cases in the United States, with some 35,000 dead from the disease with all businesses, offices, and restaurants still shut down. The big question is, how soon do we reopen and who makes the decision, the president or the nation's governors? Meanwhile, from the quiet of his basement up in Wilmington, Delaware, Joe Biden keeps rolling on the way to the nomination with endorsements this week by Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Barack Obama. On both fronts, where do we go from here? Let's bring in today's panel, Pamela Pemalevi, political reporter for Mother Jones, joining us by social distance, of course, from her home. Hi, Pema. Hi, thanks for having me. Good to have you here. And Jennifer Habercorn, congressional reporter for the Los Angeles Times. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, Bill. So um, you heard the numbers, 677,000 cases in the United States, now some 35,000 dead. 73% of Americans say, however, the worst is yet to come. Pema, do we see any light at the end of the tunnel yet? Oh, gosh. I, I am not feeling, you know, I think the answer is yes and no, right? I mean, we are seeing on you know the numbers that are coming out of New York and other places that they're they're devastating but they're also not you know exponentially growing at this point um especially when you're looking at the deaths and so i think that that obviously feels really good um and we hope that that continues on the other hand i think we're all sort of coming to grips that there really isn't a good plan for going back to quote unquote normal Um, You know, and maybe when we all started sheltering in place, we thought, oh, you know, next month or maybe by summer, you know, and and we're not hearing, you know, in terms of, first of all, the ability to test that there's really just the mechanics of getting things back to normal are going to be possible uh, for probably a very long time. And so I think that at the same time that we're there's some good news, um, the news is also that we're going to have to keep doing what we're doing for probably longer than we imagined. Yeah. How do you assess, Jennifer, where are we today? Are we kind of getting on top of this or still behind the eight ball? It still feels like we're a bit behind the eight ball. I mean, to Pema's point, um, you know, all the health experts say that the first step toward reopening society is getting testing up and running so that there's diagnostic testing and the antibody testing so that, you know, someone knows whether they've already had the disease Um, and perhaps have immunity. We don't even know yet if having the disease means you're immune. And um, 
you know, there's there's a lot of lawmakers, uh, particularly Senate Democrats, who are urging the administration, you know, let's let's develop a plan for testing so that when we uh, when society does reopen, we have answers to some of those questions. And it doesn't seem like the administration quite has that plan together yet. Hunter Walker, of course, political reporter for Yahoo News, uh, joining our conversation. Hunter, um, the question is, uh, given where we are today, the latest numbers this morning, 677,000 cases in the United States, 35,000 deaths. Um, are we anywhere near flattening the curve? I mean, there's a difference between, you know, flattening the curve and this being over, right? So so the question of flattening the curve is, you know, are we slowing the rate at which this is happening? Um, even in a case where that happens, um, this would still go on for a long time. But I, I, you know, I was just looking at the map last night and there are so many states that where this hasn't really hit yet. Um, you know, New York, Massachusetts, Florida, uh, Michigan. Michigan has been very affected. Um, these are the places where we really have a lot of cases, but, you know, the whole Midwest hasn't really seen it. So I, I think that, you know, the curve is just beginning to go up in those places, even if places like New York have kind of evened it out. Right. And of course, then the question is, uh, uh, I think everyone would like to get so-called back to normal or to see things reopen, if, not, if nothing else, to give us some relief in our own daily lives, but also to help these businesses, restaurants and others that have that have shut down. Um, the president wants everything open by May 1. Um, more of the governors have said, no, May 15 is more realistic. Uh, Pema, what do you see? What, when, when do you think, realistically, we'll have the, uh, not the all clear, right, but you can start to reopen? What are yeah. we talking about? Another month? It's quite possible that it will depend on where you are in the country. Um, but I just think it'll be longer, to be honest. I mean, I just think that as we were talking about, you need testing to be able to know if you can start to reopen. Uh, and we don't have the capacity right now. And in fact, you know, we're looking at uh, a shortage in supplies for testing so that in the medium term, you know, just having uh, enough of the, the chemicals needed for the tests, for example, um, are just not going to be in the labs. And so I think that there's a lot of hurdles to even getting places to, you know, what Trump is now calling a phase one, <laughs> um, you know, where you know, you know, very small gatherings, for example. Uh, I just don't think we're close to that. And I think that there's a danger in trying to rush out because, as Hunter said, you know, a lot of places are still in that low place on the curve and it's going to go up. And sort of the last thing that I personally want is to have spent, you know, two or three months stuck in my apartment only to, you know, find out that, you know, that sacrifice didn't even help because, you know, then we all rushed out too soon and, you know, another wave came and then we all had to come back in. You know, it feels like at this point we've already done so much damage to the economy and we've turned our lives upside down. And so many people have already been endangered in order to help our lives continue, um, you know, essential workers and healthcare workers, uh, that it really seems like we should do this right at this point. And I do think that, you know, you know, Trump was saying, oh, it'll be a few weeks. Oh, it'll be Easter. Oh, it'll be May 1st. Oh, you know, maybe May 15th. Like, like, I think we just need to push this can down the road a few more months. Yeah. And Jennifer, if I could, the first. Oh, please. Yeah. I was just going to jump in and say. I feel like this is going to be something in which each individual makes a decision for themselves. I mean, even if the president and the governor, you know, were to come out and say, you know, May 1st, go back into restaurants, you know, I, I really wonder whether 
people are going to rush into a packed restaurant or try to buy concert tickets. It feels like this is going to be something in which people are making a decision based on their own risk level um, and who they're surrounded by. You know, if, if they live with their grandparents or something or, you know, someone with a amino uh compromise system um you know are they going to take the risk that someone who is single and you know we, we there's been a lot of trashing of millennials but it's really uh uh gen zers <laughs> um you know a, a gen z person who uh perhaps has a, a higher risk tolerance and and maybe that's not the safest route but um it, this feels like something where people are going to make a decision for themselves right um and the decision I, – I believe you're absolutely right, by the way. I think people are going to be uh, – they're going to wait a long time before they're mm -hmm. comfortable going to a ball game with 30,000 people in the stadium, mm -hmm. right, and standing in line to get a hot dog or whatever. Uh, but the decision um, is going to be made, at least where you can start reopening things, either by the president or by the governors. Uh, the president says a couple of days ago – I'm the one who will decide. Well, I have the ultimate authority. The president of the United States has the authority to do what the president has the authority to do, which is very powerful. The president of the United States calls the shots. Well, you said when someone is president of the United States, their authority the is total. That is not true. Who, who okay, you know what we're going to do? We're going to write up papers on this. It's not going to be necessary because the governors need us one way or the other. When somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total. And that's the way it's got to be. The authority is total. It's total. It's total. All right, so Hunter, that was two days ago. I called the shots. Yesterday he said, the governors called the shots. What? Who the hell calls the shots, right? <laughs> well, you know, first off, let me, I'm about to shock you, Bill. So so hold on to your seat right. in your home office. I'm ready. Um, we are handling this a lot different than some other countries. Um, no. <laughs> um, Shocking. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do think that there's a tendency, certainly in, you know, liberal Twitter dunk world to um, treat the idea of reopening as, as some kind of heresy. Right. And the, the reality is there are a lot of experts, particularly on the economic front, who kind of suggest that we really do need to weigh the damage um, to the economy against the damage to human life that occurs with reopening. And that's how we need to make that calculation. But does and, it have to be an either or? Well, uh, uh, hold, hold on for a second, okay. because the, right. the, first off, the economic side does include, include human life. You know, there are some models that show that every percentage of unemployment correlates to even a percentage of mortality in terms of largely suicides mm -hmm. and heart attacks. Um, so it doesn't need to be an either or. But, you know, the hard the, the trade off needs to be done in an academic and thought out way. Uh, what you've seen Angela Merkel do in Germany is she said, I am not going to do the reopening. I'm not even going to consider it until we've gone 10 days without doubling a case. So she without doubling the number of cases. So she set a very specific benchmark based on coronavirus. Trump sort of threw out this May 1st date, which which was not realistic and not really tethered to anything. He then backed away from it. And what we're seeing now is this weird tug of war for authority with him and the governors. And what was really interesting about that moment uh, at the press conference is I believe that day and, and forgive me, I'm losing track of the days like yeah. everybody yeah. else. But when Trump 
made noise that he was going to announce some type of reopening. Cuomo actually scheduled a press conference and said, oh, he and the governors of the bordering states to New York were also going to talk about reopening. What Trump did yesterday with sort of bringing out the multi-phased plan was, I think, politically very smart and, and more in the direction of what we've seen from Merkel, where you're sort of, without committing to a deadline, talking about the roadmap for opening. But what he also did there is he prevented the governors from undermining him because if any of them move more aggressively he can say you're on my plan if any of them move more slowly he can also say oh they're only on phase one they're on my plan so he declares authority even though he doesn't really have it well yeah he goes back and forth from day to day but jennifer the first governor i believe to come out with a phase plan or the first leader if you will was not donald trump it was gavin newsom in california working with jay inslee from washington and janet brown of oregon and pemba we saw the same thing uh, up in the Northeast with seven states, including Republican Governor uh, Charlie Baker from Massachusetts. So, Jennifer, uh, to Gavin Newsom, um, he's got the phase plan. He didn't give a date, but he said these are the conditions right we're looking for. Right. And he kind of matched um, the public health experts who, you know, we've seen several different reports now The the there's kind of a, a running theme, but um, it really matched what they've been saying, which is, you know, we have to have the infrastructure for testing up. We have to have infrastructure for contact tracing so that when there are cases, we can figure out how to deal with them. And, uh, you know, I, uh, vulnerable populations need to continue to isolate and people with cases will, you know, need to go back in isolation or quarantine. Um, and uh, he's kind of matching what the experts are saying should be happening. And frankly, most of the governors have been doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Pema. Uh, uh, not that this is political, but yesterday Gallup did come out with a new poll. Uh, it certainly has a political uh, impact where uh, President Trump's approval rating went down six points in the last month from 49 to 43. His disapproval rating up from 45 disapproval of the job he's doing uh, on the coronavirus to 54 percent. Are we possibly heading into an election where the handling of the coronavirus is the one main issue in this election? Yeah, I absolutely think that it will be the main issue um, because it's <clears throat> dominating all of our lives in, in, in a way that I don't think it will stop, um, you know, by November. Uh, certainly, you know, we're looking at what more than 22 million people who have lost their jobs. Um, those aren't all going to suddenly reappear. Um you know, even going to the polls might be a fraught and dangerous decision for people in November, depending on how we, um, you know, start to handle voting uh, in these conditions. So, yeah, all of this is is very political. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things we've seen is, is in, you know, for leaders around the country in states and in other countries is sort of that, you know, it's a crisis rally around the flag is what they call it, effect for leaders and their approval goes up. And Donald Trump did see that, but at a much lower rate than a lot of other leaders, a lot less than, you know, Cuomo, for example, a lot less than Angela Merkel, for example, just pretty much less than every other leader. <laughs> you know, his approval right. went up, but not a whole lot. People initially thought he was handling it the crisis well, but, you know, it was a slim majority. Um, and I think over the last couple of weeks, we've seen both of those numbers start to trend back down. And I don't know if it's the press conferences and sort of him appearing to be all over the place. I'm not totally sure 
Um, if it's the fact that people thought we'd all be back to normal by now, and it's sort of sinking in that that's just, you know, this is a long-term crisis. Um, but I think probably a lot of it has to do with his handling of this and, you know, some of the decisions that the administration has made early on, um, you know, in terms of, you know, not being able to roll out testing and other things like that. So I do think that some early mistakes are probably catching up with this administration. And, you know, to Hunter's point about talking about the economy, I think obviously we all want the economy to sort of get rolling again. But I do think that, you know, every time Trump sort of goes, oh, we got to open the economy, we can't stay shut down forever. I think a lot of that is um, political, is him worrying about November. Yeah, Hunter, he certainly understands, right, what's at stake here. I, absolutely. I mean, I think when he, you know, the conversation I'm, I, I started to have is about what expert academics and other leaders have been saying. What mm -hmm. we've done here really has been much more haphazard on every level. And I think Pema is totally, totally correct to talk about sort of the early mistakes. I mean, we really lost the months of January, February and March in terms of responding to this crisis. Um, and, you know, that May 1st deadline was totally, totally unrealistic. And this is a president who's always had openly his eye on his TV ratings, his approval ratings, the stock market. Uh, one thing that's really interesting when we talk about um, reopening, I mean, I actually dealt with having what I guess I would have to term a suspected case of coronavirus. Right. right? And and I say that because on March 26, the day I first got symptoms, I couldn't get a test. Right. So I was never able to get tested for this. Right. Now I can't get an antibodies test. Right. And and this speaks to, in a way, the concrete things that we will in part need as we talk about reopening. Right. If if we can't figure out who's had this and who's immune and what the scope of the problem is, we really can't move towards reopening at all. I mean, so, someone like me should know where they stand and potentially be able to get back out there for a period. And I, I just don't have the physical things I need that would give me the data to do that. You know, uh, as Pema mentioned, and I mentioned a couple of times, so we're now at 22 million Americans uh, out of work. And I, this morning, a lot of people, a lot of the stories this morning were saying this is as bad shape as this country has been in economically since the Great Depression. I always wondered what it was like to live in the days of the Great Depression. I mean, I guess here we are. Um, Be careful and, what you wish for, Bill. No, that's right. <laughs> Uh, and I'm worried about a lot of these businesses, restaurants in our neighborhood, not being able to reopen. Small businesses just cannot sustain two or a couple of months with no revenue at all. And I'm worried about the news business as well and some news mm -hmm. outlets and news organizations. Uh, Jennifer, we hear about the L.A. Times. Um, what What's your experience there? Um, yeah, so I, it's I have to say it's it's pretty demoralizing to look at the uh, you know I, I the LA Times doesn't print here on the East Coast, but I see the PDF version of the paper every day, and there are just no ads. There's no paid ads in there, and it makes sense, right? You know, movies aren't opening, uh, no one's right. buying anything. So I understand why advertisers aren't running ads, but for a business that you know really really needs that, it's it's devastating to see, and. Um, uh, you know, uh, LA Times, we have a new owner, Patrick Sunshan, who, who bought the paper uh, two years ago and is uh, putting a lot into it, but um, it's it's unsustainable. And so, you know, we are we are concerned. Um, we haven't 
you know, been told that there's going to be layoffs or furloughs or anything like that, but it's, it's definitely a concern. And we've seen other newspapers, you know, I'm thinking the Cleveland Plain Dealer, a lot of online publications that have um, been really, really devastated by this. And it's, it's concerning because uh, we're seeing more traffic than, than normal. You know, people want to know about coronavirus. They want to know how it's impacting their communities and the, the nation and the world. Um, but you know, you need you need journalists to be paid to be able to do that. Well, it's always been a great favorite paper of mine. And I, I just want to point out you um, uh, may be um, too humble to give the plug yourself. But there is a way people can help by subscribing to the L.A. Times, right? No yes. matter where you live in the country. Uh, if they go online to latimes.com, they can subscribe. But what is it? It's not much. It's $1 a week for four weeks. Yes. I just did it the it, other day. It, oh, cool. Oh, thank well, you, Hunter. It's, it's a great deal right, right now. And thank you for the well, plug. Well, let's all do Let's all do that. Let's, let's you you can also that. get L.A. Times T-shirts and tote bags. We have a really classic, <laughs> beautiful newspaper logo. I, it's a great way to support journalism. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, I'm sure all new, all news organizations are, are really feeling the uh, feeling the feeling the pinch right now. Uh, and by the way, so is the World Health Organization. So uh, looking for someone to blame, Emma? Why not the World Health Organization? Right? Is this yeah, the time I- to be? The time to be withholding money from the who? Uh, I wouldn't think so, no. I mean, this is, you know, it's it's funny because we're in such an unprecedented situation, but so much of what we're seeing from Donald Trump is sort of classic Donald Trump. Like, he's still falling back on some of the same, you know, boogeyman that he always has. And it's always these, you know, it's the United Nations, it's the G7, it's, you know, it's these, you know, um, it's NATO. It's, you know, always toying with sort of, pu- you know, he's pulling out of climate deal. He's pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal. He's, he's you know, it's the America first thing, right? And it's blaming foreigners. It's blaming immigrants. Um, and, you know, and that sort of, that scapegoating has been his strategy uh, since he, you know, decided to run for president. And, you know, you're looking at a crisis that, yeah, no, did, did, did Trump start the coronavirus? No, of course not. Um, you know, but it's here and he didn't prepare well. Um, and so he's turning to an organization that's doing a lot of good right now, uh, particularly in countries that are not, um, you know, as prepared as, you know, at least we should have been to handle this. Um, and so that, you know, and that decision is harmful. And it's not just about the immediate term of, of fighting the coronavirus, but, you know, this funding goes to, you know, stopping polio in places around the world, right? It's not just all immediately coronavirus, like the World Health Organization does a lot of work on a lot of diseases, you know, that we don't even worry about anymore in this country. Uh, and I believe the fact is that the World Health Organization first told, warned about the virus, which at that time was limited to Wuhan in China, up on January 4, and said, this is something we all should be concerned about. And of course, it was March 15, I believe, before the president said, we need to take this seriously. Uh, one final thing on this before we take a break and, and talk a little politics. Um, what <laughs> it's just hard to introduce this topic without i don't know how to get into it but so in the middle of this we have a stay-at-home order in washington dc we have social distancing restaurants are all closed and jared and ivanka take their family to a his their daddy's country club in new jersey bedminster to celebrate passover hunter how can they be so dumb well I mean, this was just an incredible story, I think, uh, by Annie Carney in the New York Times. Um, And 
what I really loved about it is Ivanka had held herself out as, you know, one of the administration's, I think, literal in a sense, poster children for social distancing. She was yeah. she was showing herself on Instagram in a tent in her living room like this is a fun activity to do with your kids. And meanwhile, she was on a plane or, or I don't know how she got there, but she was heading up to up. Jersey. Well, that's yeah. a huge question about this whole thing. Um, you know, what staff did they bring? Sort of who else did they expose Se when they did this? Secret Service, right? Yeah. Had, I mean, was the Bedminster staff working over there in Jersey? Well, you know, they didn't cook their own Passover dinner. <laughs> I'm going to assume uh, Ivanka wasn't <laughs> making the brisket and the haroset there in the kitchen. But yeah, I... I, I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, it was just really. And what I love is you've seen in the right wing media, you know, this current of, you know, the New York and D.C. media people aren't missing paychecks and they're over there in their bubble and, you know, they're ignoring all this. And then you had the Trump administration like quite literally behaving as badly as possible uh, as they could have in this moment. Right. Uh, and uh, so Jennifer Ivanka said this is just doing what everybody should do. Their family gathering together for a meal. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I didn't go to any uh, celebrations uh, the last. <laughs> what are we on? Five weeks now. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of uh, do as I say, not as I do, which is, um, you know, the, the classic uh, frustration that a lot of people have with Washington. Um, and, you know, we've seen a little bit of that on Capitol Hill. Um, I, I was up there yesterday for the Senate's pro forma session and uh, senators were not wearing masks. Uh, I know House members have been wearing masks, but um, uh, the, I, I think one of the biggest frustrations that the average American has with Washington is the, the do as I say, not as I do. And that's just another, you know, very startling example of it. Right. Yeah, uh, it's sorry. Also sorry. Oh, I was just yeah. going to say, I mean, this just also, again, it, it feels like such classic uh, behavior for the Trumps, right? Which is just sort of like the rules don't apply to us. Um, you know, the, the, you know, the financial disclosure regulations don't apply to us. The tax disclosure doesn't apply to us. The, you know, all of these things that, you know, you want to see, you know, the, the leaders actually leading on things that are really important like this. And then they just sort of assume that they actually don't have to do all the things they're telling everyone else to do. And on that point, let's take a, a quick break here. Today's panel, Pema Levy from Mother Jones, Jennifer Habercorn from the Los Angeles Times, Hunter Walker, Yahoo News. It is the Bill Press Pod. And our roundtable today brought to you by the American Federation of Teachers. 1.7 million teachers of America for K-12 through and higher education under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. They're doing double duty today with schools uh, out of session, schools shut down. They're not only continuing many of them to teach their classes online, they're working with parents and helping parents uh, prepare lessons plan, lesson plans for their kids at home. We salute the members of the AFT and thank them for their great leadership in this country. Thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? 
In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And uh, let's go back to our panel from Mother Jones, Pema Levy from the Los Angeles Times, Jennifer Habercorn, and Hunter Walker from Yahoo News. Uh, let's just say, uh, Hunter, Joe Biden had a good week, huh? <laughs> I mean, I, you know... I guess so. It's, it's, on it's, one it's, level, at any rate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's not really, I, I think, as we were saying earlier, you know, this election is going to be, I think, largely about President Trump's response to coronavirus. And so, you know, Joe Biden doesn't really have to do much. So so in one sense, he's barely been out there, certainly by the, right. the metric of traditional mm -hmm. campaigns. But, you know, the president's approval rating, as Pema pointed out, continues to drop. And then also Joe Biden just sort of racked up these high profile endorsements from Bernie Sanders and President Obama. So, you know, he's he's coasting uh, quite literally from his basement in Delaware on, on a Zoom video conference. <laughs> Which is probably about the best that he can he can do right now. Uh, Jennifer, do you think there's going to be a convention in Milwaukee? I don't think so. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of the city. I went to school there, so I'd love, love a reason to go back this summer. But I frankly can't see it happening. I mean, Particularly going back to the idea of do as I say, not as I do, you know, the idea of getting thousands of people into um, uh, a convention center and into hotels and flying on airplanes just does not seem smart. And I think the the um, I think it's going to be interesting to see if, you know, Democrats do not hold a convention if Republicans do, because, as we know, Trump loves the uh, uh, you know campaign rally. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that would be a hard opportunity it would be hard for him to pass up that opportunity. But, um, you know, it, it's a couple months away still, so the coronavirus situation may change. But I can't see, you know, Dr. Fauci did an interview in Vanity Fair uh, saying that the idea of sporting events just makes him nervous. And so right. this is this is a lot more people than that. Uh, and finally, Pemba, back to the endorsements for a second. I mean, what is striking to me 
let's see if you agree, is that, yes, Bernie Sanders endorsed uh, you know, um, Hillary Clinton in 2016 and campaigned for her. But this endorsement and Elizabeth Warren's endorsement, and if you will, coming together is happening a lot earlier in 2020, right, which is pretty significant. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Uniting the party. Yeah, I, I do agree. Look, you know, Bernie Sanders did do those things in 2016, but he did them late. Um, and, you know, there was still, you know, a lot of anger that, you know, the election was was stolen and that the DNC hadn't been fair to him. And there was a, a lot of stuff that just sort of carried through to November. And I think, um, you know, was one of a gazillion factors that, that hurt Hillary Clinton. And I think that, you know, this time around, there's, you know, the election, you know, wasn't really wasn't close. There wasn't a path forward. You know, he couldn't continue to hold rallies. Right. Um, and so I think that, you know, and given this situation, it just was sort of clear, you know, that, um, that, 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 you know, this primary needed to end. And that, you know, I think everyone who was competing with Joe Biden likes Joe Biden. Um, you know, I think that, that there's a piece of that, that, that really matters, you know, and I think on some level, you know, you, you could try the way that he did in 2016, which is like you, you know, you don't drop out until the very end and you push and push and push and you do sort of this outside, like, you know, adopt my policies thing, which sort of, you know, helped. Um, and then this is a little bit more of an inside track. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, yeah. drop out in a reasonable time and we're going to have conversations. And I'm, you know, I think that, you know, that's the other track, especially, you know, also for Elizabeth Warren in terms of, um, you know, saying, you know, as she did, look, I don't always agree with Joe Biden, but he really listens to me. And so I think that, um, you know, there, there's sort of like a, a collective <laughs> coming together here. Like no one can even run a campaign really anyways. Um, yeah. And and so, you know, yeah. And I, I think certainly it's crazy to be thinking that, you know, you're going to be fighting a, a shadow primary at the same time that all this is going on. Right. Uh, very, very good panelist uh, on every front. But before we let you go, um, there's always some story of the week that captures our attention, particularly. Um, and we always ask you for your favorite story of the week. Uh, Jennifer, why don't you go first? Yeah, I was going to point out a story in my paper, the Los Angeles Times, the pandemic's toll, lives lost in California, which is a, 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 the beginning of an effort to document the people who have died from COVID-19. And I know a lot of publications have done this. I think these stories are really important. We get so caught up in, in the politics of it and how Trump's handling it. And, you know, is the virus spreading? Do we have this under control? But for the people who's, who've lost loved ones, you know, these kind of stories, these kind of tributes and just documenting who the people are who've lost their lives, um, I feel like that's really important. And those are the, some of the stories that are going to um, live on, you know, years, years after we're through COVID-19. Um, this this is the stuff that's going to last. I think there have been some very powerful profiles uh, in just about every publication I've seen of prominent, prominent people in various uh, uh, parts of life, right, who have lost their lives to the coronavirus. Yeah, they've been very striking. Um, thank you, Jennifer. Uh, Pema, how about you? Your favorite story of the week? So I was really trying to, like, not do a coronavirus <laughs> story. I really I really tried, but I, I can't find one. Um, but I was really moved by a story that one of my colleagues wrote, and it's called uh, Inside One Family's Desperate, Hopeful, Facebook-Fueled Search for Plasma. Um, and it basically talks about um, 
the potential treatment for coronavirus, which is to get the blood plasma of people who have recovered from it um, and then provi yeah. provide those antibodies to people who are struggling with it. Um, but the problem is it's really scarce to, to get this down and even then, you know, see if it works as a treatment. Um, and because it's so scarce, you have families literally going on Facebook and saying, I need blood plasma. If you have type O blood, please, you know, respond, please share. And so one family did that and there was really an outpouring of, you know, people around the country saying, oh, I'll, I'll fly to New York to like give you my plasma and sort of like really, you know, moving um, stuff, you know, mm -hmm. total strangers just saying, you know, I'll, I'll get on a plane and, and try to help you. And, you know, what sort of happened with this one family's journey. And, and also just, you know, it's just so crazy to, to, to be in a situation where we're all just struggling and just sort of saying, I guess I'll go on Facebook to try to maybe possibly, you know, save a family member. Might have been the same family. I saw a story exactly like that on CBS News uh, last night. And the, the, the family found the plasma by just going on Facebook and putting out a plea. And, and someone popped up. There they yeah. Were. Yeah, it's, it's totally incredible. Yeah. yeah, it's a whole new meaning so, of, you know, crowdsourcing your medical care. So, Hunter, you could be one of these people. We don't know. right? Well, so your experience. I actually know uh, the experience that I had, um, you know, the NIH is doing a, a big study with plasma from coronavirus folks up in Bethesda. And so I looked at donating to that. But for that study, you need to have had a positive Corona test and uh, I, I couldn't I get see. one. Now, the FDA is soliciting plasma from people who had or, or no, no, excuse me. Um, the NIH study, you need to have never been diagnosed with Corona. So they are looking for they're trying to sort of figure out how many undetected cases we've had. Right. So for that one, due to my suspected diagnosis, I'm too Corona positive to do it. Uh, the yeah. FDA is looking for people who've had a positive Corona test. So I'm not positive enough for the <laughs> FDA. And so it, it's really interesting to kind of get firsthand experience of these shortfalls in our testing and the sort of eccentricities of our healthcare response right now. But, yeah, I am I am both. Yeah too corona positive and and not enough positive to to give my plasma to anyone right now uh and is that your favorite story of the week no uh, yeah <laughs> no no i i so i'm gonna go I'm, I'm gonna go a little all over the map here first off i i also want to select a mother jones story i really really enjoyed uh this piece by natalie baptiste that was entitled every white guy on facebook is an epidemiologist now um i i don't want to spoil this i encourage everyone just look up white guy Facebook epidemiologist because we're all experiencing this. You will read this essay. You will enjoy it. Um, I did want to select a non-corona story. I realize I've been a bit inundated. I really enjoyed the the kind of kooky Kanye West interview in GQ uh, that is on the cover of this, this month's issue and also online. And then lastly, a, a non-traditional plug, um, the Hulu show, Little Fires Everywhere. This is a great show. Watch oh, this whoa. show. Yeah. And, and the plot twist right around episode six, you're going to love it. it. It is totally <laughs> engrossing and it will distract you from the coronavirus. Well, I want to. Well, thank you. And I want to, for my favorite story, go back to uh, coronavirus. But uh, I've been intrigued by and I've talked about a little bit before the things that are be, have suddenly become bestsellers. Uh, under the coronavirus, of course, toilet paper. Right. But also yeast, because so many people are making bread and flour and that kind of stuff. Uh, the latest I saw, which I, I really love, is uh, one of my heroes, and I'm sure one of yours, is Dr. Anthony Fauci. Well, of course, the national bubblehead 
bob, bobblehead rather hall of fame and museum has put out an anthony fauci bobblehead and it is the largest selling the best selling bobblehead of all time at the National Bobblehead uh, Hall of Fame, which I think is well-deserved. You can also, <laughs> there it is. Well, no, no, they, they've got no. Burks too. They're oh, doing Dr. Deborah, Burks. Yeah. Deborah Burks, I see, yeah, right. They also have, uh, you can also get, uh, not from that company, but there are also uh, Dr. Fauci mugs available and stuffies, soft. <laughs> so anyhow, he is the new American hero of the coronavirus time. Uh, what a great panel. Thank you all so much. Pamela Levy, thanks for joining us. Hunter Walker, always good to have you here. And Jennifer Habercorn from the LA Times. And let me uh, ask your indulgence for a quick parting shot on something that Pema alluded to earlier, uh, which I've really become interested in, which is voting by mail. Uh, my my opinion only here, not necessarily the opinion of the panel. But, you know, a month ago, nobody could have seen it coming. 22 million Americans out of work. The entire economy shut down. Businesses and restaurants closed. Everybody ordered to stay home. But if we couldn't see the coronavirus coming, we can see this coming, folks. There's no way we'll be out of this crisis with everybody feeling comfortable being in large crowds again before November 3rd. And in my opinion, there's only one answer. For every state starting now to prepare for the 2020 presidential election to be held entirely by mail ballots. It won't be easy. Today, only five states conduct elections entirely by mail. Five more encourage vote by mail, which means, though, that 40 states still do everything they can to either ban vote by mail or make it extremely difficult. Why? Because President Trump and Republican governors say that vote by mail makes it harder for Republicans to win, which is nonsense. Utah votes entirely by mail, and it has a Republican governor, Republican-controlled state legislature, both houses, and two Republican senators. The question today is not which party vote by mail might help, but how many lives it will save. Voters should not have to risk their lives to cast their vote. For millions of Americans, vote by mail is a matter of life or death. Just ask Donald Trump. Unwilling to jet down to Miami or to Mar-a-Lago or unable to jet down to Mar-a-Lago for another round of golf, Trump voted by mail in the March 17 Florida primary. So surely what's good enough for Donald Trump is good enough for you and me. That's it. That's our roundtable for today. Thanks so much to our panelists, Pema Levy, Hunter Walker, Jennifer Habergorn. Thanks to all of you for listening. And please do us a favor, if you haven't already done so, and subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. Just go to wherever you're listening to this podcast, pull up the Bill Press Pod and subscribe. And then follow me on Twitter, please, on Twitter, at Bill Press Pod. That's it. Meanwhile, we'll see you the next time. But meanwhile, stay strong, stay safe and come back for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.